Hey everyone! Did you know Neurodiverging now offers a free support group for autistic parents, monthly free live classes on neurodivergence-related topics, and a coaching corner twice a month on Instagram? Learn more and sign up for all of our learning opportunities at neurodiverging.com slash upcoming events. Every day, scientists are learning more and more about how human brains work and how many of us don't fit into the old-fashioned understanding of how brains should work. But a lot of ideas about parenting and familial relationships still need to catch up to the reality of human variation. Neurological differences are natural, profoundly valuable parts of being in a community together and in being part of a family. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey, I am here to explore with you. We are all in this together. Welcome to Neurodivergent. Neurodiverging. Neurodiverging is dedicated to helping neurodiverse folk find the resources we need to live better lives as individuals and to further disability awareness and social justice efforts to improve all of our lives as part of the larger world community. If you're interested in learning more, please click the subscribe button to make sure you're notified when there's a new episode. Check out neurodiverging.com and sign up to the mailing list there to learn what's new. And please check us out on Patreon, patreon.com neurodiverging. Speaking of Patreon, I would love to give a super-duper warm thank you to Zach, David, Teresa, Sarah, Anon, Other Teresa, Outstronaut, Clara, and Marty. Thank you all so much for supporting this episode of Neurodiverging. If you are new here, my name is Danielle Sullivan. I'm your host. I'm an autistic life coach and the parent of two neurodivergent children. And today I am here to talk to you about a parenting approach that I have found that made a huge difference in my life. And I think it's maybe not as well known as it could be. So we're going to talk about it today. We all know that there are basically a million and 14 different parenting approaches out there, which can make it really intimidating to sort through them and find the ones that work for you and your family. In my family, we all struggle with intermittent slow processing speed, which leads us to be more overwhelmed by social events and to-do lists and housework, and even keeping up with basic needs like eating than the average family is. Luckily, after a lot of trial and error, I found a parenting approach that supports our slower processing needs, and it's called slow parenting. Because I've talked with so many parents and autistic adults in my coaching business, especially people who struggle with processing speed and its best friend sensory processing disorder, what I really want to do today is focus on what slow processing speed is, how it's related to sensory processing disorder, and how the slow parenting method can support a child or family who might need some extra time to work through the input that they're receiving. So let's dive in. First, I want to talk about slow processing speed because I've touched on it a little bit here in this podcast, but maybe not uh, really talked about it directly. So slow processing speed refers at its most basic to having a slower than average work pace. So there are many predictors of slow processing speed, like traumatic injuries, um, some neurotypes like autism and ADHD or executive function struggles. All of those things can um, correlate to the likelihood of slow processing speed, but it can also be grounded in everyday factors in any neurotype, like not getting enough sleep for your body's needs, not eating well, 
um, feeling stressed or anxious or depressed or, you know, going through like the entire year 2020. So in my house, most of our slow processing speed is directly related to our ADHD and autistic brains, but a poor night's sleep can absolutely cause it too. And you should have seen me when my kids were babies and I was breastfeeding around the clock. I was slow as molasses. Inconsistent processing speed has been something I've struggled with at various points throughout my whole life. And it's only really recently that I've been able to have a good understanding of what's even going on. When I met my partner, I realized that his processing speed is also inconsistent. So it's something we've both learned to support in each other over a long time. For me, the worst part of having inconsistent processing speed is not having a choice about what my brain is doing on a given day. So sure, things like exercising or eating well or taking my meds, hydrating, going to bed on time, they will all give me a better chance of having a good brain day. But sometimes I do everything exactly correct and I still wake up and I can't figure out simple issues for no good reason. And let's just be honest, sometimes I can't do everything right. I am a person. I am not perfect. I have an ill-advised third cup of coffee. I stay up way too late reading my favorite book. Uh, my kid has a nightmare and wakes me up in the middle of the night. I don't drink enough water or get my evening walk in. And the next day, I cannot think for beans. How fast I can think or handle information on a given day is not something I can control. And it's not something my partner or my kids can control either, which means that any issues that stem from processing speed need to be met with some grace and an attitude of support at home, not shame. So I said before that processing speed and sensory processing disorder are best friends. So let's talk about that for a minute. Let's review how your sensory systems take in and organize information. As Mama OT says, the human body takes in sensory input from several different sensory systems, organizes it in the brain for functional use, and then sends out signals to the rest of the body to activate the appropriate motor, behavioral, or emotional responses, known as adaptive response. And that quote and the uh, source are in the show notes below. So when you have sensory processing disorder, sometimes known as sensory integration disorder, depending on where you live, your brain can't organize the information it receives into useful, actionable information. So the correct signals are not sent out to the rest of your body. You become what's called disorganized. Sensory processing issues that cause disorganization can directly lead to slower mental processing. So you get so overwhelmed by sensory input that you can't think, basically. So you may be physically slow to react to inputs, like taking an extra minute to figure out what someone said to you, or you may feel like you're thinking more slowly than you usually do. Having trouble with sensory processing is another potential cause of slow processing, or it can exacerbate processing issues that were already there, or both. So I have sensory processing disorder. It's common in autistic people, and so do both of my children. So we're all prone to disorganization, sensory disorganization, more than average just by the nature of our neurotypes. When one of us loses the thread, it seems like it leaks disorganization into anyone else who is around, especially if they are not 100% organized themselves. So I was somewhat used to my own SPD-related disorganization as an adult, and I was managing with my older child when he was born, but the challenges for us really ramped up to a whole new level when my second daughter came around. And from when she was maybe 15 months old to a little over three years old, she was incredibly disorganized. And it wasn't a kind of disorganization that I was at all prepared for. Um, I think I've talked about this a little bit in previous episodes, but initially I was a pretty cruddy parent to my second child, who is my daughter, who is ADHD combined type. 
And that was in large part because her sensory processing disorder was dramatically disorganizing. And it was absolutely not her fault. So just be clear, it was directly connected to her ADHD and her slow processing speed, and it had nothing to do with her attempting to do anything negative. But before we started occupational therapy for her, she was disorganized probably 80% of the time. And of course, because of that, was emotionally unhappy and frustrated all the time as well. And her situation, plus the rest of our family's SPD and slow processing issues, combined to create like this unending vortex of chaos, which resulted in all of us sleeping badly and eating badly and not getting enough exercise and basically doing nothing to help our mental health and our processing. So a normal thing like grocery shopping or cooking dinner, which would have substantially improved a couple of our problems, were suddenly impossible tasks. And this infinity loop of disorganization made everyone's lives so much harder, especially for my daughter. A lot of children are so constantly overwhelmed, those with sensory differences like my daughter especially, that many of the behaviors that parents or professionals see as negative are products of an anxious child who is constantly pushed past their natural boundary. For instance, what looked like tantrums and what tends to get labeled, quote, oppositional defiance, air quotes there, are almost always symptoms of overwhelm and anxiety. And I have to say, I seriously dislike the word defiant, and I don't find it all useful. <laughs> in, in my opinion, it's a junk name, and it's unhelpful for parents and children. If you have a child who is constantly pushing back against you, and I have been there, and it is hard, but their behavior is not your child trying to be difficult or defiant. Quote. It's an expression of how completely overwhelmed they feel. It turned out that my child, who had been labeled as oppositional defiant, was struggling to process everything in her world and wasn't able to do it. The disorganization I talked about earlier was the result of her constantly trying to process more than she could handle. So how do we get in front of this wrecking ball when my daughter was three? How did we rein in the chaos and create a better household environment for the whole family? Two things. The first occupational therapy, which I've talked about in other places and it was a lifesaver for us. The second and the point of this episode is slow parenting. So let me tell you what slow parenting is now. At its most basic, slow parenting is a style of parenting where you are prioritizing your child's exploration of the world and therefore your child's personal processing speed of the world over anything else that is not essential to your existence. So Sharon Brandwine, who's a, an advocate for slow parenting, writes, In our family, we practice slow parenting, a parenting style where parents consciously choose to take the pressure off of their children and let them explore the world on their own terms. It allows for everyone to be present and focus on family time without a calendar full of scheduled activities. The idea with slow parenting here is to try to create more space and more time in the day for your child to process the world at their own pace and to decrease the number of other things they have to do that will take away from their focus on processing. So we just talked about how many of our children are overwhelmed without enough time or space to think. Slow parenting creates this time and space for them. Now, there are some common arguments I hear against slow parenting when I recommend it to a family I'm working with. Many parents worry that it's impossible to fully implement slow parenting, given the number of medical appointments and recreational commitments and school schedules for their kids, not to mention the parents' own work. And it's true that as parents of kids with different neurotypes, we have so many things on the calendar, and it can be tricky to figure out what is genuinely necessary, like maybe therapy and school and work, and what can be removed from the list of things to do. My counter-argument here is that in my experience, 
Many parents of autistic kids over-therapy their children. There are therapies that are absolutely necessary to support kids and teaching them neurotypical life skills and essential ways to live in this world that is geared for neurotypical folks is important. As I said before, my family would not be half as functional as we are now if not for occupational therapy. So I do understand this concern. However, in addition to the therapies that are critical to a child's support, some parents can feel pressured, I know I did, by well-meaning friends or professionals to also enroll your kids in more therapies, social skills groups, team sports, and everything like that. And I wonder in many cases if these children wouldn't benefit more from simply having more space and time to process the world. So many of the symptoms that parents are trying to treat can often be traced back to overwhelm. And so I worry that well-meaning, loving parents may be exacerbating the root problem rather than addressing it. Among the families that I've worked with and talked to, I've noticed a trend that especially neurotypical parents sometimes can't even tell what's helpful for their autistic or ADHD child and what's not. As a parent, you want to feel like you're making the best choices for your kids' needs, and that can be really hard when it comes to figuring out what therapies and social activities and recreational activities are going to be the most beneficial for them. You won't always get it right because no one is perfect, and you might need to try and play around with several combinations or strategies before you find what works. But in my experience, families with slower processing speeds overall will do better with a lighter schedule. So in case you haven't already figured it out, there's a lot I like about the slow parenting approach. One thing in particular is that unlike some other interventions, here you can start off with a blank slate, drop everything from the schedule for a month or two, give your child a schedule break, and see how they do. There's really not much to lose. And with this time, your kid can heal a bit from overwhelm and being oversaturated with stuff to do and start to explore the world at their own pace. For kids who have been overwhelmed day in and day out, and even adults who have been overwhelmed day in and day out for a long time, taking away all of their commitments and clearing everything from their schedules will give them a chance to breathe, to decompress, and to process. It is vacation. And then once that happens and sort of the backlog has been processed, processing can often start to move a little bit faster. Um, they might not ever reach an average processing speed, whatever that is, but they will be able to process better and moderate themselves a little better if they have less to handle in a day. And if you can remove the overwhelm for them, this will not only give them more space and time to process, but it can also help you as a parent help them create more strategies for when things like therapies or social interactions or other potentially overwhelming situations are reintroduced to their lives. Kids do better overall when they're not overscheduled and they have time to think. Okay, as parents, I know you know just how stressed we can feel at having to go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing all day, every day, and not having any one-on-one -on -one time with your child. Implementing the slow parenting approach, clearing your calendar for everyone in the family wherever possible, will reduce anxiety for you as a parent as well as for your kids. Everyone will have space to think and decompress and breathe, process what's going on. In other words, slow parenting doesn't just support children, it supports whole families. Just in case you think I'm ignoring the elephant in the room, yes, we as parents need time off too. It's likely that you don't get enough of it either. On the other hand, we need to make sure that you and your child are getting enough one-on-one -on -one time to connect with each other and for you to be a parent for your children. So the best way to do that is to create the time for that to happen. 
I'm not saying you have to have family hour and make it all serious because I know not everyone does well with structured, scheduled family time and it can feel forced and inauthentic. In my experience, though, I found that if you can create more space for everything overall, you have more room for real, authentic, smaller connections throughout the day. Day by day and week by week, those little interactions build into a stronger relationship between you and your child. And that means you'll end up with children who will talk to you when they have problems, who are more willing to come to you with an issue, and who you'll be in a better position to help with those issues and problems. If you give your child more space to not only process, but talk about their feelings, together you can come up with strategies to reduce their anxieties and to ask for your help when they need it, and maybe even moderate their anxieties on their own to some extent. Committing to the pace of slow parenting might not be something you're willing to do for the full length of your parenting life, and I get that, and that's fine, but try it for a couple weeks or a month. Take a summer and try to reduce the number of activities you commit to for a period of time. Many slow parenting advocates go to the extreme and have no scheduled activities, no therapies, no social sports. They might homeschool. Some people take it way extreme. You can do that if you want to, but obviously not everybody can homeschool. Not everybody can or wants to drop therapies or even reduce therapies. Not everybody can just drop social sports. People have to work outside the home, etc. So I understand that there are limits to what you can do. So I'm saying in your circumstance, think about, are there things that you could drop? Are there things you could be doing once a month instead of once a week? Are there things that you can give to somebody else to do or trade off with a friend so that you're not having to do the thing all the time so that you can be free more for yourself and your kid. And again, if you can commit for a couple of weeks or a month, you should be able to notice a difference in your feelings about your parenting and you're in your child's relationship with each other and your child's actions and feelings. And that's one of the reasons I love slow parenting so much. So I understand that it can be a commitment and it can feel like a big change and any kind of parenting intervention can sometimes feel scary and can always feel like a challenge. I completely understand that and I see that. It can bring about some fear around your quality as a parent or your ability as a parent, but you are a good parent. If you're listening to this podcast, then I know you care about your kid. And there's no right or wrong parenting intervention for every single person, but there are some things that tend to help kids with certain issues. So if you have a kiddo with slow processing, with sensory processing disorder, maybe with ADHD or autism, who is maybe defiant or labeled defiant, slow parenting might be a good solution to you or might be a good thing to consider. Finally, I've touched on this a little bit, but I want to bring it into sharper focus. Slow parenting is not just for your kid, it's for the entire family, and it's for you as a parent. It supports you as a parent. First, it lets you focus on your child. We have so many things vying for our attention, and obviously your child cannot be your number one priority at every minute of every day. Unfortunately, a lot of us would feel a lot better about our parenting ability, I'm sure, if we felt like we could put more effort or more concerted thought into what we're doing as parents. A lot of us are very thoughtful parents anyway, but if you could create more time for you and your kid to just hang out together, play a card game, watch an episode of something, wouldn't you feel more connected with what your kid needs and feel better as a parent? If you could create more time for yourself, would you be able to bring in some more self-care? Would you be able to read a book, take a bath? Would you be able to hide in the bathroom away from your children for five more minutes of the day if you weren't driving back and forth all the time to therapy appointments? I don't know. It's up to you. Circumstances vary. But think about the goal being that when you slow parent, you're slowing 
everything down. You're prioritizing your child and their interaction with the world, but that should ideally create more space for you as a parent too. And the other thing is that over time, as your child has more space in their life to regulate, to learn interventions for themselves, to become more aware of their emotions and maybe more able to talk about their feelings and their goals and needs, they're going to get ahead and they're going to take on some of the workload that you as the parent have been shouldering for however long you've been shouldering it. So let me tell you a little bit more about my experience with this to crystallize it a little bit for you. When my daughter was three, we were still in that phase of constant emotional upheaval from her sensory disorganization and her anxiety and her defiance. And as a parent, I was tearing my hair out, crying every day, completely unable to function. I was like, what have I done? I'm the worst parent in the world. Why did I have these two kids if I can't even take care of them? All the negative self-talk stuff. I couldn't get my daughter to eat. I couldn't get her to be dressed. I couldn't get her to take a bath. Um, I know this will be familiar to lots of you for better or worse. I'm sorry. Um, but it was it was really awful for the whole family for various reasons. And in the two and a half years since we really started slowing down as much as we can and focusing hard on the sensory processing disorder and what we could do, especially to help my daughter organize herself better, um, the amount of emotional regulation that she's now able to do on her own is staggering. And it's it's way past what I would have considered possible, certainly at that time, but even compared to a year ago. And I just want to be clear, we started slow parenting two and a half to three years ago. We only did about a year of OT, and she has been sort of graduated from OT for the majority of this time. OT is definitely a huge portion of her progress, but slow parenting makes up an equally or more <laughs> huge portion of her progress. Now at age six, um, I can trust that if she can't handle something emotionally, she'll come and ask for help like 85% of the time, which is huge, huge, because we were at like negative percentages before. She'll mostly feed herself, mostly dress herself. She can self-identify when a noise or the lights or another stimulus is bothering her and help me determine the best way to address the issue. Huge progress. I'm not saying that everything's perfect now, but by moving to slow parenting and doing the OT for that period of time and reframing everything to encourage us as a family to take our time, we're giving my daughter the processing space she needs. We still drop as much as we possibly can to focus on this child and her brother and what they need first. And doing that has created so much more space for me as a parent because it forces me to prioritize what's really important and what can be dropped. It allows me to be more present in my day, in my life, and in my decisions about what I'm doing and why. I get to do one thing at a time, which for many of us neurodivergent folks is really important. And I've gotten better as a parent in becoming mindful of my own stuff. That's on top of all of the positives of my daughter being able to take some of that mental load off of me as she grows and is able to be more responsible for her own care. So when my child was so disorganized that, like I said, she was leaking disorganization into everybody, I was a hot mess. My partner was a hot mess. Her brother was a hot mess. We were all hot messes together. We were just like pools of goop on the floor. When we adopted slow parenting, I realized that the more things we dropped, the better we were able to focus on the kids and ourselves. And the more the piles of goop started to build up into real people again. And now I would say like, am I a perfect mindful parent? No, not at all. But I am a person 
who can notice when I'm getting dysregulated or disorganized. Before, when my daughter was young, I was disorganized so much of the time that I couldn't even tell I was disorganized because it was like 100% of my life. I don't know how else to describe that. But now disorganization for me internally is rarer enough that I notice that it's happening to me, which is like, it's magic. I can't even overstate it. It's magic because if I can get, if I can notice it, I can get in front of it. Before it was so often I couldn't even see it. It was just covering everything. So I understand that not every family will have this incredible positive reaction to the slow parenting intervention, but if you have ever thought about it, if you feel like you're stuck in your parenting and you're hitting some of these blocks that I'm talking about and you don't know what to do, especially if your kiddo is dealing with slow processing, sensory processing issues, or has any kind of defiance behavior, slow down, drop everything, focus in on their needs and create space for them to process. You will not regret it. It's such a lifesaver. So that's what I have to say about slow parenting and slow processing. I hope it was helpful for you. I'm going to put some links in the show notes on neurodiverging.com. So if you want to learn more about processing speed, if you want to learn more about sensory processing disorder, sensory integration disorder, or if you would like to learn more about slow parenting from the people who actually started the movement, please go to neurodiverging.com in the show notes below and check out the link for more resources because there's a lot of really good stuff out there. If you have ever tried slow parenting and you have comments about it, I would love to hear from you what did and didn't work. It would be really useful information. I would love to share it with other folks. You can uh, either leave a comment in the blog or email me at neurodiverging.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you again to my patrons for supporting this episode and making this show possible. If you enjoyed this episode and you found it helpful, please consider supporting future episodes of the show by becoming a patron. It's really easy. You just go to patreon.com slash neurodiverging and follow the directions. You can pledge as low as a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you feel called to a month to support this show and keep it going. I could not do it without my patrons. Please remember we are all in this together and we've got it.